Hey there, and welcome to the Real Life Spokane podcast. We're going to be spending the next few moments together in the presence of God, in the Word of God, and in what God wants to do in your life. If we can do anything for you, or you just want to learn more about us, visit our website at reallifespokane.com. Let's jump in to this week's message. After ordaining uh, Grayson like this and into ministry, I I can't help but just think about and talk about and want to ask you a couple questions about your calling. Something that maybe you haven't thought much about, but I believe with all my heart that you are called by God. We've been wanting to establish our hearts as we start out 2023 with a sense of confidence and purpose and knowing who we are and knowing the worth that we have, the way God sees us, that you are loved by God, that you are gifted by God. And today, I want to get this deep into our souls, that you are called by God. I wonder if you've thought about that, like, what is my calling? How do I live that calling out? What does that look like for me? There's people that will reject the call of God completely because it's kind of intimidating to think that the God of the universe has purpose and plans for my life, and I'd rather live for my own plans than try to live for his plans. And some of us have wrestled with this for years. Some of my friends have even said, no, Richie, I don't even believe that God calls people. And I think that this is an outright rejection of how God has worked throughout human history, throughout Scripture, throughout the history of his church over the last couple thousand years. And I believe with all my heart that you are called by God. Now, to discern that calling and to understand how to walk that out, man, that's a that's a process. That's a journey. If you were to ask Grayson, and I want you to, uh, about his call to pastoral ministry, it was a process. It wasn't like a burning bush. Moses, I'm referencing. Man, it would have been nice if, if many of us had that kind of encounter with God. But many of us, it's, it's kind of revelatory over time. It's step by step. Obedience after obedience creates more and more opportunities for us to get kind of shaped and honed into understanding, oh, this is how I'm gifted, and this is what God has given me, and these are the people that God has put in my life. But when you look at Scripture, you see so many moments. I mentioned Moses' burning bush, God speaking in a bush that's on fire but not burning up. Clearly, God is here. He says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. (laughs) Something big is happening right now. Others in Scripture find themselves flat on their face before God because they can't stand in his presence. Isaiah is overwhelmed by the presence of God and just says, Whoa, am I a man of unclean lips? And God sends an angel to touch his lips to purify him for the ministry that he has called them to. And Isaiah just simply says, All right, here I am, Lord, send me. There's this call, there's this response, there's this sense of burden and responsibility for the people that God is sending some to, that God is kind of bringing to light, like, hey, there's an issue, there's a, there's a problem, I need somebody to love, somebody to step in, somebody to care. And, and this calling is, it always kind of starts for us as a people real central. Like, Jesus made it really clear when he called his 12 disciples, that he wanted them to be with him, and that he was going to lead them to a new way of life, this life of his kingdom. And it was going to be a process of transformation. They got it all wrong to start. If you feel like you get it wrong most days, join the club. This is the process where we all begin to understand, oh, the God of the universe is calling me, and he's wanting to change me and transform me and begin to use this life for his purposes and his kingdom. 
Soon they're being sent out and, and, and God is doing miracles through their life. And then soon they're, they're being sent without Jesus. And Jesus is going to heaven saying, hey, I want you to go make more disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. This calling, I would say, is a, a calling that covers every single one of our lives. It's a general revelation in Scripture that makes it evident that if you are a person who is putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now a disciple of Jesus who is called to go make disciples of Jesus. That is really the purpose of these lives that are being saved, and yet many of us haven't reconciled this with the way we live. If we're not careful, we're living for our own purpose and our own significance and our own sense of calling and our own desires, and we really haven't submitted those desires before the one that is saving us from our sin and wondering what, what he wants, like with a saved life. Does he just want us to kind of get out of hell and live our best life now, or does he actually have something more in mind for each of us, that he, he created us to do the good works that that, that he saved us so that we could do those good works that he designed for us long ago to do. I think about this, and I go, God, we need to wrestle with this as a people. You may not know specifically what your calling is. That's okay. But I would say generally all of us have this call to be a disciple who makes disciples. As a church, this is what we're committed to. We have this vision to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. That's why we, we come in here on Sundays is to be equipped for that mission. It's a purpose that God has given us in Scripture that every disciple is to learn how to make disciples. Oh, God, show me what that looks like in my home with my kids, with my spouse. Show me what that looks like at work and school and all these different places I go. God, as I go, show me how to make disciples. And, and I love that because it gives us a couple of things. Uh, the ambition of that mission is craziness. Reach the world, Richie, are you kidding me? That's not our idea. It's God's idea. It's Jesus' heart. It's his passion. What I love about that, though, is it makes room for every single one of us to have a passion for this mission. There is room. Like, the only way the world is actually going to be changed is every single one of us recognize the call of God on our lives and begin to live into it. It also creates a lot of room for diversity and what that looks like and when we work that out and who it is that we're loving and serving and ministering to. That There are so many specifics that, that get to get worked out in each of our lives, and it creates so much diversity in Jesus' church. When we recognize the call of God on all of our lives and what that is going to look like for each of us specifically, it is so powerful. We walk in here different on Sundays. We're like, God, you got to equip me. Like, Monday's tomorrow, and there's going to be work and school and family and stuff. And in the middle of all that real life, God, I'm trusting that you're going to use me to see this city changed, see my school changed, my workplace changed. God, and I don't know how you're going to do it through me, but I'm here. I'm available. I'm ready. Like that song we're just singing, I'm submitted, God. Take this life and use it for your purposes. So we come in here a little bit maybe more excited than just a normal church-going person that's just checking a religious box, Right? We come in here with a passion. Show me, God. Teach me what it looks like to live out this mission. That's why some of you are making room at the 10 o'clock service so that other people can join us on this mission, right? So many of you, uh, I talked to a bunch of people at 830, like, yeah, we're in. We're going we're gonna to make the change to the 830 service. And I'm praying some people are going to make that change to 1130 because there's, there's not many empty seats in this service. And there's, there's so many more people in our city that need to know Jesus. And guess what service they're going to come to, the 10 o'clock? And we get an opportunity for us to, to make room for other people to experience the love of God by moving to some of these other services. Like, these are the kinds of things, <clears throat> excuse me, that just, 
we're going to choke on that we feel uh, that we feel passionate about. You're like, yes, eat those words. I'm never leaving the 10 o'clock service. <clears throat> In fact, I had somebody say that to me last, last week. They're like, I don't care what you say. I am still coming to the 10 o'clock. I'm like, all right, I love you and stuff, but, you know, whatever. So let's talk about our calling today. Joseph has been the story that we've been looking at, and I want our hearts uh, to be there together. So would you open your Bible to Genesis chapter 40, if you would, with me today. Joseph is a story that we've been looking at. If you don't know where the book of Genesis is, it's right at the beginning of your Bible. Uh, If you got a Bible app on your phone, Google it. We'll have stuff on the screen as well. But this is a This is a story of a man that was called by God early on in his life. Clearly God's hand, his favor was on his life, but but he had no idea the specifics of this calling. At this point in his journey, he's been betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery, uh, sold to a a Potiphar whose wife wrongly accused Joseph of trying to uh, rape her or sleep with her and then thrown into prison in a dungeon Man, every circumstance of this guy's life is not going the way he thought it would go. Yet the call of God is something that we see start to surface here in chapter 40 and 41. He was called early on by his brothers a dreamer because God had given him dreams. He shared those dreams with an interpretation of those dreams, and they're all like rejecting what God is doing in Joseph's life. But, but he stayed steadfast in this calling. And we see the dreamer start to emerge here in chapter 40 and 41. Here's a story from God's word. Joseph had just been thrown into prison. He was there for quite some time when the chief cupbearer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, as well as his baker, both made Pharaoh super angry, and they were, were thrown by Pharaoh into the dungeon, the same prison where Joseph had been living and been existing. He had been elevated within that prison to a place of prominence where he kind of oversaw several other uh, prisoners. In fact, the cupbearer and the baker were put under Joseph's care. One day, Joseph uh, went to attend to them in the morning, and he noticed that their faces were sad. He asked, why are you guys sad today? Well, we're sad because we had these dreams. Each of us had a different dream, but on the same night, last night, and there's no one to interpret these dreams, and we have no idea what they mean. Joseph's like, well, um, every dream and every interpretation belongs to God. Why don't, why don't you tell me what your dream is and see if God won't give us the interpretation? So the cupbearer's like, all right, well, here it is. I had these three, like, branches of grapes on top of my head. And, and, and then I began to squeeze the, the, the vine, and, and, and the, the wine would flow out of it into the cup that I had in my hand, and I was placing that hand in, in Pharaoh's hand. What do you think this dream means? And Joseph's like, oh, that dream is definitely from the Lord. Each of those uh, grape um, clusters is a representation of a day. So in three days, you are going to be restored to your position, and you once again will be the cupbearer that places the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is awesome, right? This favorable response. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, hey, when you get before Pharaoh, when you're back restored to your position, I want you to remember me, if you would, that I am here, a Hebrew that was taken out of my country wrongfully, sold into slavery, accused wrongly, and thrown into this prison. I don't deserve to be in this dungeon. Would you remember me when you are restored to Pharaoh? Well, the baker hears this interpretation. He's like, stoked, let's go. Hey, Joseph, you got to tell me my dream. 
Well, what's your dream, Joseph asked. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. I had these three baskets of baked goods that were stacked on top of my head, and on the top basket, there was a bird perched there, and it was eating all the baked goods out of that basket. Joseph said, well, your dream is similar to the cupbearers, that each of those baskets represents a day. So in three days, you're going to be lifted up out of the dungeon, and your head will be taken from your body, and you'll be hung on a tree, and birds will be eating the flesh off your body. And that's exactly what happened. Three days from that moment um, was Pharaoh's birthday. And he lifted up both the cupbearer and the baker, and one he restored, the cupbearer he restored to his position, and the baker, exactly what the dream said, happened. For two years, Joseph remains in the dungeon, forgotten completely by the cupbearer. For two years. Until one day, Finally, Pharaoh is awoken, massively disturbed, because he had two dreams in the same night. One is of seven fat cows, and then after those seven big, plump, fat cows come seven skinny cows, and those skinny cows actually devour the plump cows. And then the next dream is these, these seven amazing kind of stalks of grain all full and plump, and then seven real burnt and scorched stalks of grain come up and, and devour the seven good ones. He wakes up like in a star. What do these mean? He scours the entire kingdom, Egypt, and he's asking all the magicians to interpret his dream, and nobody can interpret Pharaoh's dream. But then the cupbearer remembers, hey, Pharaoh, when I was in prison, remember when you hated me in the baker and you killed him and not me? Good day, right? There, uh, there, there was a Hebrew slave that was in prison, and he interpreted our dreams, and exactly what he said is what happened, and it came about just the way he said, and why don't you get it? Pharaoh calls for Joseph, has him cleaned up, stands before Pharaoh. And you got to understand it, human history at this point, this is the king of the world at this point. I mean, people view him as a deity, like he is God himself that is ruling all of the known world, conquering and ruling and Joseph is brought before him in this moment because of this ability to interpret dreams, because of the call of God on his life. And as he stands before Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, you, I heard you can interpret dreams. Here it is. I got these two dreams, and this is what happened, and all the fat cows are all eaten, and all the good ears of grain are all gone. And like, what is this? Joseph says to Pharaoh, well, the two dreams are actually one in the same. And since you had two in the same night, it is God confirming that this is the way it will be. He says the seven fat cows and the seven healthy um, stocks of grain, uh, those are seven years of plenty and abundance in the land. And the seven skinny cows that devour the fat ones and the seven, you know, stocks of grain that devour the, the, the good ones, those those are seven years of famine that are going to come in wake of the seven years of bounty. And the famine is going to be so severe that nobody's going to remember even the seven years of plenty because it is so severe striking the land. And then Joseph takes it another step. He says, you know, you, you ought to do something here, Pharaoh, king of the world. I got an idea for you. You should take somebody and put them in charge of, of this collection of grain. Over the seven years of bounty, we should, we should Egypt should store up some extras and save it in, in all the cities around the, the country so that, that when the, the famine comes, we could redistribute that grain to those who are in need and don't have any during that famine. Pharaoh loves the idea, loves Joseph, and puts him in charge of this 
entire um, kind of plan. He says, yeah, you're the guy that's going to actually lead it. In fact, I'll make you second in command in all of Egypt. You're going to run, you know, through town in a chariot, and people are going to, you know, hail you and bow before you. And nobody in all of Egypt is going to be more powerful you than you except for me, Pharaoh, the ruler of the world. This is the story that we see in Genesis chapter 40 and 41. We see that the call of God on Joseph's life begins to make sense. That God is writing a story and his people are going to need to be rescued in about seven years from a famine that is going to wipe out everybody that has no food. And God's people are kind of living in a desolate place as nomads. And he's got to get them to a place where they are protected and cared for and, and, and provided for. And he's using Joseph as a means to get his people into a place of protection. Joseph had no idea. All he knew is that his brother sold him into slavery. All he knew is that, that he was wrongly accused and thrown in prison. All he knew is that he was forgotten for two years in a dungeon. All he knew was brokenness, discouragement, broken circumstances, and yet the call of God remained on this man's life. I want to I wanna unpack this together and just allow God to speak to us. Would you pray with me for a moment, just asking God to speak? Lord, we do come humbly today asking you to reveal your calling in our lives, to bring a confidence to your church, Jesus, that you would be here powerfully with us, speaking and moving in our hearts. Lord, I, I ask you to just make your presence known here. Your word, would it come alive? Would your spirit be speaking to each of us? God, we're trusting that you're going to reveal your heart and your ways to us. God, those that are far from you, draw them to yourself right now, God. Those that are discouraged, God, lift their heads today, God. Those that are struggling with sin and doubts about you, God, I pray that you would just make yourself known in this time. Your love, your grace, your goodness, God, that your church would know their worth, God, that we would stand confidently in who you've called us to be, God. We love you. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen today? I love this story because there's this, there's this awakening of Joseph calling. I remember when God called me to pastor, and, and I was ordained like Grayson was when I was like 23 years old. And there was a part of my story when I was 25, 26, when I walked away from that calling, had experienced some brokenness in the church and just gave up on it completely. And, man, when, um, when we walked away from the church, it was probably the darkest time in our lives, in my life, in our marriage. There was a lot of brokenness going on. We moved from the Seattle area over to Coeur d'Alene, where my wife's family was all from. And there was just this kind of time of searching and wandering and feeling like the dungeon was all we knew, the darkness. And it took us getting connected to Real Life, the church over there in Post Falls that helped start this Real Life here. And when we got connected over there, Jim, the lead pastor, um, reached out to me, and we got coffee one day, and he just listened to me rant and rave about the brokenness in the church and all the pain we had experienced. And, and it was evident to him, and it slowly became evident to me that my, my disappointments around the church and what it was supposed to be and what it was in reality and kind of my disappointment that led to frustration, that led to bitterness, that now became an excuse. Um, he just, he, God just gave him so much insight. And he kind of stuck his finger in my chest. And he says, you know, there's plenty of people that can stand on the outside of the church and poke holes at it. But the church needs some people, some men specifically, that are willing to stand up and do something about it. 
He said, you're not going to ever affect any change out there whining about it until you get on the inside and actually learn to lead people to become the church that Jesus called us to be. And for me, that was like a stirring moment. Oh, my God, I've been called to pastor people and pastor pastors, and I'm doing neither. And not just like am I discouraged, I'm disobedient. And I think that that disobedience is justified in many of our hearts and lives. If your story is maybe somewhat similar to mine, you've, you've had disappointing moments in your life and in your story. And that discouragement often leads to doubts and frustrations and bitterness and eventually becomes disobedience to who God has called you to be. I'd love to make disciples, Richie, but people are jerks. I'd I, I love to love my boss, but you don't know my boss. I'd love to, to serve the kids in my classroom, but, man, these guys are animals. We have all kinds of reasons that we disobey, but ultimately we're not walking in the call of God on our lives. And I think that, that the Joseph story kind of surfaces this for me, and I was thinking about Jesus' church. It's like Jesus' church has always been his plan to help the world know how much he loves everyone on this planet, that he was willing to die so that we could be right with God, so that we could have all of our sin forgiven and be reconciled to right relationship with God. Like, this is the good news of Jesus Christ is that that, that God loved us and didn't want to leave us separated, dead in our sin, but actually wanted to send his son to rescue us from that death and that destruction of our sinful nature and set us free to be who he made us to be, that he actually had a call for every human being to be free from their sin and to be right with God and to be on mission with God. And you know what he chose? He chose his church as the agents of that message. Nobody is going to know that message if somebody isn't sent. If, if we don't go, then nobody will hear. And if nobody hears, then nobody's going to be saved. Like, we are these messengers, these missionaries that God has called with this mission. And here's what the enemy loves to do. He loves to show us the brokenness within the church the politics that's crept in over the last couple years. He loves to show us these these messed up people within the church and go, see, there's no way that this is God's plan. Get us discouraged about the church. Get us discouraged about each other. Get us discouraged about ourselves and our gifts and our calling. And get us just disobedient to who God has called us to be. A friend used to talk about it like this, like, Many people will say, oh, I love Jesus. I just can't stand his church. All those people are jacked up. He's like, that's like saying to Richie, hey, Richie, like you a lot. Let's go hang out. Please don't bring your wife along. How would that go? Hmm. And often this is how we treat Jesus' church. Jesus, I love you. Your church is jacked up. And like, what does that do in the heart of God? This is, this is his bride. The church is his plan. There is no other plan. God didn't come and start any other ministry or any other nonprofit. Jesus started his church. It has always been the plan. Yeah, it's pretty jacked up, and there's a lot of messed up people in it. That's why you're here, right? Is we're all here, all messed up, all have issues, and, and, and that doesn't change the call of God on our lives to be who he's made us to be. There is a responsibility that we have to go, no, I'm called by God. Circumstances are difficult in so many of our lives, and circumstances can keep us from obeying, can actually make us disobedient if we get discouraged enough. It's easy to give up on our calling. 
when circumstances are difficult. But that's what I love about Joseph's story. He did not pick to be sold into slavery. Did not pick the dungeon. Wrongly accused. Yet God remained confident in his heart, and he remained confident in the call of God. We don't see a ton of emotion in Joseph's story. It's kind of the facts as you read through this story. But, but you can imagine, right? If you're reading in there and you're just going, wow, I can't imagine the desperation even as he's asking the cupbearer, please remember me when you get before Pharaoh. I don't deserve to be here. I was taken out of my country. My brothers, they sold me. That, that woman, Potiphar's wife, she accused me. It was not, none of it. I didn't. I don't deserve to be in this dungeon. You can imagine the desperation, yet the confidence that he has to say, but please remember me. The confidence that he has when he stands before Pharaoh to say, hey, here's what you need to do. Think of that. Like, that's the king of the universe right there. And you're telling him what he should do with his kingdom. That's because there is a king that is greater than Pharaoh that is in Joseph's heart with a calling on his life that actually Pharaoh is a pawn in a part of a much larger story. He can't see it. Nobody else around him can see it. But Joseph has this confidence in his heart because the call of God is on his life. You need calling on your life to, to help you stay motivated and passionate. You need calling for, for, for your heart to, to remain in a place of understanding that you're significant. So tempting to get discouraged and feel like your life doesn't mean anything. You are a part of a story that is absolutely miraculous. You don't understand the outcomes. You don't know what famine is coming, what years of abundance are coming. You have no idea how God is orchestrating things and putting you exactly where you need to be. But the bottom line is that you are called by God, and you need to, to have that confidence because that is where your significance comes from. You are not going to feel significant trying to make up your own calling, your own purpose, your own way for this life to feel like it's significant it only comes from God. Calling establishes that significance. Calling focuses your heart on people. In a world that is all about what I produce, what I get, what I accomplish, how successful I am, people are kind of in the way of my success. People are a problem on my way to my significance. That's the world's preaching. But the kingdom is completely opposite, that the who is way more important than the what. The who you're in relationship with, the who you're around at work, the who you're with at school, the who God has placed you around are way more important than what you accomplish, what you achieve, what you do with this life. The who is way, because the kingdom of God, it is not about walls and, and, and buildings and, and amounts of money and, and, and positions. The kingdom of God has always been about people. You need calling in your life to clarify, oh yeah, this is about people, Richie. This is not about me accomplishing what I want to accomplish with this life. This is about the kingdom of God being established in me and through me. Well, I got six minutes on my timer, and that's my introduction. So, sorry about that. I, I promise I was well prepared for this. But you just got me fired up, okay? It's your fault. It's not my fault. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Joseph... Joseph's story teaches us this, that wherever you go, the calling remains the same. No matter what circumstance, dungeon you feel like you're in, the calling stays steady. You're called by God. This is where your confidence is. Not in your circumstance, but in the call of God on your life. 
This is where you go, oh, I know my worth. I am loved by God. I am gifted by God, and I am called by God. No matter what my circumstances are trying to tell me, I am called by God. The dungeon that you're in, the pit that you feel like you've been betrayed and sold into, the slavery that you feel like you're under, man, none of that defines you. It is the call of God on your life that says who you are and what you're worth. My encouragement to us today as Jesus Church is to know, listen, no matter where you've been, feel like you've been forgotten like Joseph was for two years, that you would just know with all your heart that the call of God has remained on my life, that he has still called me his He's called me to be his disciple who makes disciples, who loves the way he loved me. I'm going to learn to love those around me, that there are people that need the love and the grace of Jesus Christ all around me. No matter what circumstance I'm in, God has called me. That's a confident people, amen? That's a people with, with steadiness and steadfastness. That's a people that are courageous. I love Romans 8. He says, we know that in all things God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There is circumstances and situations going on in our lives. God is working those things out to develop us, develop character in us, perseverance in us, strength in us, love in us, patience in us. He is working all these things out for our good. For those of us that are loved by him and called according to his purpose, there's this work that God is doing. We don't see the end of the story yet. No matter where you are, you are called by God. The other thing that I see in his story that's so significant is Joseph had the capacity to keep his eyes up. What was the trigger in this story? He got up one morning, he's going to attend to some of his prisoners, this cupbearer and this baker, and he notices something. These guys are sad. You got people all around you all day. That if, if you and I would get our eyes off of ourselves and our, our fears and our insignificance and our lack of self-esteem and our lack of confidence and the discouragement and the doubts that we got about where we're at, if we would just, just look up, we would see the opportunity all around us that, that God's calling is on our life and there's people all around us that need to know the love of God, the grace of God. It, it started really simple. Why are you sad today? Maybe that's a question you take with you this week. Just recognizing that there's people that are discouraged around you. What a gift. That there would be somebody at work that, that has an other's focus. Like that would change your entire office. That would, that would change your classroom. That would change your peer group and your friends, that you would actually pay attention to where other people are at. God is always at work around you. And the enemy is always trying to distract you from the work of God and keep you focused on yourself and your sins and your problems and your place in life. I don't deserve to be in this dungeon. Nobody treats me fairly. I'm so discouraged. I have nothing to offer. My life is a mess, right? You know what you're doing is focusing on yourself. Your eyes are down. But if you and I could get our eyes up, we could see the opportunity. Oh, God, you're always at work around me. Jesus said that my father is always working to this very day, and I, too, am working, that, that there is something that God is doing in people's lives around us. And, God, I want to be a part of it. I don't want to miss it. I, I want to be in the middle of what you are doing. And to go, okay, God, I, I don't want to be so discouraged and so doubtful and so tied up with myself that I miss the opportunities that are right in front of me. Think about this. If Joseph wouldn't have had his head up, wouldn't have had the conversation, wouldn't have interpreted the dreams, wouldn't have had the opportunity to go, hey, cupbearer, remember me. Wouldn't have had the opportunity then to be remembered 
to stand before Pharaoh, to step into his calling. See, it's really tiny steps of obedience that many of us miss in our discouragement, in our doubts, in our bitterness, in our frustration. We miss these little daily, life is pretty ordinary most days, amen? And if we're trying to look for something like magnificent, we might miss the opportunities that are right in front of us. These guys just looked sad. I go, God, make us a people that keep our eyes up. Make us a people that are confident in our calling, that we're not self-absorbed, just discussing how dark the dungeon is every day. Oh, this world, it's so messed up. Everybody's going to hell. You know, like, we start rehearsing these, like, stories, right? And pretty soon all we are talking about is what's broken and what's wrong and how messed up this is and those people over there and, oh, man, and it's just complaining and whining and griping and self-absorbed. I believe that God is going, hey, let's be a people that keep our eyes up, that we recognize that we are where we are for a reason. That God is moving us from wherever we were to wherever he wants us. We're on our way towards the call of God on our lives, and let's be confident in that. You don't know the end of the story, neither do I. Do I wrestle with this stuff every single day? Show up and keep loving and keep serving and keep preaching and keep doing the, like it. Just like you, I'm normal. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I, I'm gifted enough, strong enough. I don't know if I know enough. And I meet Grayson and I clearly know, know near enough, right? That guy is so amazing. And I just go, God, I know you called me to this. If you want to change my calling, go ahead. God has never agreed with that prayer ever. But no, I called you to pastor people and pastor pastors. This is the city I've called you to? Yes, God. These are the people I've called you to? Yes, Lord. Obedience begins to open doors for more and more clarity and more and more confidence around your calling. Joseph wouldn't have obeyed, wouldn't have seen, wouldn't have stepped into those moments. He wouldn't have been a part of the story. He would have been just passed by. God was going to save his people whether Joseph was involved or not. That's what we know about the nature of our God. Our God is going to reach the city. He's going to reach your school. He's going to change your family. And he's inviting you to be a part of it. He doesn't want to go around you. He actually wants to go through you. And you're right there for a reason. Called by God. Not allowing the discouragement and the doubts to run our hearts. But God, just, just give us a heart for people. Give us eyes to see the opportunity. Give us a confidence in the calling that you put in our lives. Make us a people that see beyond ourselves. Make us a people that see opportunities. I love this, how God does this. It's like he shows you stuff that's broken. Our normal response is to complain about the brokenness. And all the while, that's been God's spirit inviting you to do something about the brokenness. You know what I'm saying? He put you there. He showed you that problem. This is how Jesus' church has always been. Whenever the world runs away from problems, Jesus' church always runs into them. We don't shirk or shy away from brokenness in our city or in our world. We run into it because we know we have an answer. We have hope. We have 
life transformation. We have freedom. We have an opportunity to bring light into darkness. And you are Jesus' church when you see opportunities, all the problems around you now become invitations for him. Not to whine, but to do something about it. Like the finger in my chest 15 years ago. What are you going to do about it? He's just going to stand on the outside and poke holes at the church. Plenty of people doing that. And they're not changing nothing. God, make us a people that just see the opportunities. Step into them. Have the courage, the confidence, the call. Even though we don't know the specifics of our calling, there's this passion just inside of us to be the church that you've called us to be. There's some decisions that I want to invite you to make today. One would be this. Jesus is drawing you to himself. You've never really surrendered to him. You know of Jesus, about Jesus. You like Jesus, but you don't serve Jesus. You're not surrendered to him. I want to call you to that today. This is only in our surrender that we find salvation. Only in our repentance of our self-led life that we actually find freedom that we're looking for, freedom from our sin, freedom from our shame and our guilt and our condemnation, free to become who God made us to be. Restored into right relationship with God starts in a place of humility and repentance. I need a Savior. If you would bend your knee to Jesus like that today, our hope is that you would take the first step of obedience. It's what he called us to. It's what he modeled. It's called baptism. That's why we got this tank full all the time. That's why we got shirts and shorts and towels here so that you could take that step today. Already this year, four people have said yes to Jesus in 2023, been baptized here in water at Real Life. We celebrate that. We do. Because that means people are surrendering to Jesus and their eternity is being changed forever. Others of you, you've been discouraged because you haven't had people in your life that are keeping you encouraged, that are reminding you of your calling. What it means to be Jesus Church as well is to surround each other. Friends, groups, launching a whole bunch of groups tomorrow night, that extra form on your seat that says connect groups. You could you could go, I need to be a part of these Monday night groups. We've got child care and food all provided. Fill that out. Drop it in the box. Maybe just write on your card, I need some friends. I need prayer. I need the right people in my life. Others of you, you recognize that you've been poking holes at Jesus Church, but not a part of the solution. And God's burdening you to start serving, making a difference in all those problems that you see. The prayer is that you would step up. Men in the room, you wouldn't allow work to be your greatest adventure, but that you would see the kingdom of God is worth giving your life to. you take responsibility for the lostness and the brokenness in this world, in this city, the workplace, that the kingdom fill you with passion. Would you stand to your feet and pray with me today? Jesus, your kingdom is here. Your spirit is here. God, your love is so good. Your church, God, your bride, so beautiful so diverse. Each of us, God, come with such broken parts of our story, God, yet 
We know you want us to be here, to be a part of what you're doing, God. That you have a story you're writing, and we don't know the full extent of our part, God. But we just say, yes, Lord, we want to be called by you, walking out the calling that you have on our lives, God. Forgive us for our disobedience, our discouragement, our doubts, our, our bitterness, God. Forgive us for our pride. We pray, Jesus, that you would just purify your church. You would purify our hearts. God, you would call us forward out of the past, out of the brokenness, into the call that you have for each of our lives, Lord. If you're saving souls in this room right now, God, I believe it with all my heart. Give those the courage to repent and turn to you. Give your church courage to rise up, God. Trust in you, Jesus. We love you, God. Lord, I love you so much. These guys are going to lead us in a song of worship right now in response to what God's speaking to you. If you need to be baptized, head to the back. Our team will meet you right back there. We've got everything you need to take that step today. Let's worship together.